You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. 1931. The Moonweed by Harl Vincent, Part 3. The next day brought no encouragement, though it was reported that the growth developed with less rapidity after sunrise than it had during the night. Bard endeavored to get Van on the telephone, but was curtly informed by the operator at the research building that no incoming calls could be transferred to the laboratory where he was working. Knowing his friend, he pictured him as working feverishly with the government engineers and giving no thought to sleep or food. He'd kill himself, sure. But such a death, even, was preferable to the red one of the moonweed. The Canadians and Mexicans had been quick to protect their borders and forbid the landing of any American aircraft or the passage of trains and automobiles. But the seat had reached Europe, one of the twelve-hour night airliners having carried a thousand refugees who had sufficient foresight and the means to engage passage. It was a world catastrophe they faced. By mid-afternoon the streets of Washington were almost deserted. It was less than twenty-four hours since the first moon-seed took root, and already the crimson growth had progressed nearly a hundred miles southward from the point of origin. Another twenty or thirty hours and it would reach the capital city, unless Van and those engineers over in the research building discovered something, a miracle. Bart tried the telephone once more, and was overjoyed when the operator, all apologies now, informed him that Van had been trying to reach him for several hours. "'Listen, old man,' his friend's voice came over the wire. "'I've been worried as the devil not knowing where you were. I want you and Bill to stick around where I can get you at any time. I may need you. Where are you staying?' "'The Willard. Have you doped out something?' Bart answered in quick excitement. "'Maybe. Can't let anything out yet. Not till we've tested it thoroughly. But I can tell you that a hundred factories are already working on machines we've devised.' By good luck, it only means minor changes to an apparatus that is on the market in large quantity. Great stuff! The city's nearly emptied itself, you know, and boy, how've they been razzing you over the radio and in the papers, howling for your hide, the whole country. I know. Van's voice was calm, but Bart sensed in it something of a cold fury that was new to him in his friend. The young scientist was bitterly resentful of the attitude of the public. Can we see you, Van? No, nor call me either. Better hang around the hotel and wait for a call from me. So long now, Bart. I've got to get busy. So long. Bart gazed solemnly at Bill Peterson, who had been listening abstractedly to the one-sided conversation. Bill had given up hope and was resigned to the inevitable. Says he may need us, Bill, said Bart. Yeah? Well, we'll be ready for anything he wants us to do. It's no use, though, anything. What do you mean, no use? You never saw Van Licht yet, did you? Sure I did, by his super-telescopes and the rocket ship. But this is different. Bart was a staunch defender of his friend. He glared at Bill for a moment and then switched on the news broadcast, which he knew he detested. The progress of the moonweed continued unabated. In the city of New York a million souls were reported as having lost their lives, and this in spite of the difficulty experienced by the uncanny moonweed in obtaining a foothold in Manhattan. It had been thought that the asphalt and concrete would prove an effective barrier, and so they did for a time. But with the seed active in the parks and along the waterfronts, it was not long before the powerful roots of the greedy plants worked their way underneath, 
ripping up pavements and wriggling into cellars as they progressed. The city was a mass of wreckage and a maelstrom of fighting, dying humanity. Whole regiments of the National Guard were wiped out as they fought off the weed with axe and bayonet in the effort to provide time for the refugees to clear from their homes in certain localities. All transportation facilities to the south and west were taxed to the utmost. There was fighting and killing for the possession of automobiles and planes and for room in trains and buses. Airline terminals and railroad stations were the scenes of dreadful massacres as the police and military guards fought off the crazed and desperate creatures who attacked them en masse. And still the news announcers prated of the responsibility of one Carl Vanderventer. The telephone bell rang and Bart answered it for relief. At last they were to see some action. But no, it was merely the desk clerk, notifying him that all employees were leaving the hotel and that they would be left to shift for themselves. Yes, there was plenty of food in the kitchens. They were welcome to it. And a permanent telephone connection would be made to their room. The frightened clerk wished them luck. In endless monotone, the voice of the news announcer droned on. Binghamton and Elmira, Albany and Schenectady, New Haven, Philadelphia, Allentown, all had succumbed. The casualty estimates now ran into the millions. The mist, the red mist that rose from the steaming weed, was drifting westward and spreading the seed with ever-increasing rapidity. For now the monstrous growth from out the sky was adapting itself to its environment, providing the seed with feathery tufts that permitted the winds to carry them far and wide like the seed of a dandelion. "'Turn off that damn thing!' Bill shouted, and he jumped to his feet his eyes glinting strangely in the twilit gloom of the room. Bill was close to the breaking point. "'Guess you're right,' Bart mumbled. "'No good for either of us to listen to that stuff.' He switched off the receiver and they sat in silence as darkness fell over the city. Bill shivered and felt for the button of the electric light which he pressed with a trembling finger. They blinked in the sudden illumination, but it cheered them somewhat. It was not good to sit in the darkness and think. Besides, they knew that the turbine generators of Potomac Edison were still running. Some brave souls were sticking to their jobs, for a time at least. "'God!' Bill suddenly groaned, after an endless time of dead silence. "'My sister lives in Pittsburgh, you know. Wonder if she and the kids got away. It won't be long before the damned stuff gets there.' Bart thanked his lucky stars that he had no family ties. Oh, they had plenty of warning, he tried to console Bill. Ours, you know, and the westbound lines are in good shape from there. I wouldn't worry about them if I were you. There was utter silence once more. Even the customary street noises was lacking. Both men jumped nervously when the shrill siren of a police motorcycle sounded in the distance. Bart thought grimly of his fracas with the officer who had tried to arrest Van. How long ago that seemed! and how inconsequential an incident. Their windows faced north, and by midnight they could make out the red glow of the moonweed, that awful band of flickering crimson that painted the horizon the color of blood. The telephone clamored for attention, and Bill stifled a hysterical sob as the terrifying sound broke the eerie stillness. Van was on the way to get them. He had a government car, and they were to go to Arlington for Bill's plane. Then what? He refused to commit himself. They must follow him blindly. Anything was better than this inactivity, though. Bart shouted with glee. We're going north, 
Pham replied shortly in answer to Bart's question when they entered the official car in front of the hotel. After Dan Kelly. After Dan Kelly? Got a line on him? Yes. Secret Service reports him in Toronto. The Canucks are after him now, but, by God, I'm going to get him myself. Van was haggard and wan, his eyes gleaming with a fanatical light. The strain had done something to him, something Bart didn't like at all. This was a different Van from the man who had entered his office two days previously. Unshaven and unkempt, he looked and talked like a drunken man on the verge of delirium tremens. "'What's the idea, Van?' he asked gently. "'I'm going to get him. I tell you, the scum. It's his fault the whole world's against me. I'll get him, Bart. I'll kill him with my bare hands.' So that was it. The combination of grueling labor in the effort to save mankind from the dread moonweed and bitter censure from the very people he was trying to save had been too much for Van. He had developed a fixation, unreasoning and murderous. He'd get even with the man who had caused the trouble, and nothing could deter him from his purpose. Bart could see that. Might as well humor him and help him. It made little difference anyway, with the red doom spreading at its present rate. They'd all be victims in a few days. They were speeding through the streets of Washington at a breakneck rate. Van bent over the wheel, and like a demented man glued his wildly staring eyes to the road. "'What about your work?' Bart asked after a while. "'Has anything been accomplished?' "'Yes and no. They'll be ready to shoot in a few hours. Don't know whether it'll be a complete success or not. But I sneaked away anyhow. This other thing's more important to me right now.' "'What's the dope? Can you tell us now?' "'Sure. I've got one of the machines in the car, and I'll explain when we're on our way to Canada.' This wasn't like Van. Never secretive and always in good humor, he was treating his friends like annoying strangers. "'You can't land in Canada,' Bill ventured, as they pulled up at the gate of the airport. "'Like hell I can't. You watch my smoke, and let any bloody Canuck up there try and stop me.' He was lifting a small black case from the luggage carrier of the car as he replied. Bart silenced the airman with a look. When they had taken off and were well underway, Van opened his black case and set a vacuum tube apparatus in operation. They were nearing the fringe of the glowing sea of red that was the vast blanket of moonweed. It now extended to within a few miles of Baltimore and stretched northward as far as the eye could see. It was a cinch, Van was explaining. When I first saw that the growth slowed up under the arc lights at Tompkins Cave, it gave me the glimmering of an idea. Then, on the following day, when we learned that the weed spread more slowly in sunlight, I was convinced. The stuff is dormant on the moon, you know. Why? Bart asked breathlessly. Because there is no atmosphere surrounding the moon, and the sun's rays are not filtered before they reach its surface as they are here. The invisible rays, ultraviolet and such, are present at full proportion and the moonweed cannot flourish when subjected to light of the higher frequencies. It died out when the moon lost its atmosphere, and only revived on being brought to earth, probably a million times more prolific in our dense and damp atmosphere and rich soil. The thing's a cinch to dope out. Yeah, Bart commented dryly. Van was now talking, and he could have bitten off his tongue for interrupting him. This machine of Van's was a generator of invisible light in the ultra-indigo range, Van explained. You couldn't see its powerful beam. 
but they had proved in the laboratory that it was certain doom to the moonweed. They had grown the stuff from seed in steel cages, and played with it until they were all satisfied. Now would come the final test. Ten thousand planes were being equipped with the new generator, which was merely an adaptation of standard directional television transmitters, and tonight these would start out to fight the weed. It was a cinch. Beneath them the red cauldron seethed and tossed as they sped northward. The crimson blanket of death was steadily covering the country. "'Drop to a thousand feet, Bill,' the scientist called, "'and then watch below. But don't slow down. We've got to get to Toronto.' The ship nosed down and soon leveled off at the prescribed altitude. Vance vacuum tubes lighted to full brilliancy, and a black spot appeared on the glowing surface just beneath them, a black spot that extended into a streak as the plane continued on its way. They were cutting a swath of blackness fifty feet wide through the heart of the growth. "'See that?' Van gloated. "'It's killing them by the millions! And the best of it is the effect it leaves behind.' The soil is permeated to a depth of several inches, and the stuff will not germinate in the spots where the ray has contacted. Oh, it works to perfection!" Bill was exuberant. His hopes revived miraculously. He gave his motor the gun and got out of it every last revolution that it could turn up. He must get Van to Canada. Not such a bad idea, this going after Kelly at that. Bart was voluble in his praise, then caught himself short as he remembered that he had doubted Van but a half-hour previously. Doubted him and despaired. Now Van, lapsing into gloomy silence after his triumph, was again thinking of nothing but revenge. The getting of Dan Kelly meant more to him now than the extinction of the moonweed. When they landed at the Toronto airport they were welcomed with open arms instead of with rifle fire as Bill had anticipated. The news had gone forth. Already a thousand planes flying over the United States were driving back the sea of destruction. The invisible ray was a success, and the name of Carl Vanderventer was now a thing with which to conjure, rather than one on which to heap imprecation and insult. Van grimaced wryly at this last bit of news. Dan Kelly? No one at the airport had ever heard of him. Van telephoned into the city, to police headquarters. Yes, they had apprehended the fugitive American at the request of Washington, but he was a slippery customer. He had escaped. Van raged and fumed. Of what use were the congratulations of the night flyers who still loitered in the hangar? Of what consolation the radio reports of the success of the ultra-indigo ray in the States and in Europe? He had come after his man, and he'd failed. Defeat was a bitter pill. The news broadcasts from the States were jubilant and became increasingly so during the night. The moonweed was being driven back on a wide front and by morning would be entirely surrounded. There would be no further loss of life and little more destruction of property. Carl Vanderventer had saved the day. Van grunted his disgust whenever an announcer mentioned his name. When daylight came they prepared to return. Little use there was of searching the highways and byways of Canada for the fugitive. He'd simply have to wait until the Canadians were able to get a line on Dan Kelly again. It was maddening. But Bart was glad. The light of reason was returning to his friend's eyes in the reaction. Then there was a telephone call from the city for Van. Police headquarters wanted him. The fanatical glint returned to his eyes when he ran for the hangar to answer the call. Perhaps they had already captured Kelly. 
and he had an order in his pocket for the man's return to the States. He had been made a deputy, and with Kelly released to him anything might happen. Something would happen. But the police were reporting the unexplainable reappearance of the moonweed just outside the city limits at a point near Cooksville. Would Mr. Vanderventer be so kind as to fly over there and destroy it before any lives were lost? He would. The growth had covered an acre of ground by the time they reached the spot designated. But it was the work of only a minute to blast it out of existence with the ultra-indigo ray. Van surveyed the blackened and shriveled mass with satisfaction. "'Let's land and take a look at it,' he said. Bart thought he saw a look of exultation flash over his careworn features. Soon they were wading deep in the blackened remains of the moonweed. The stems and tendrils snapped and crumbled into powder as they passed through. The stuff was done for, no question of that. Bill Peterson yelled and pointed a shaking forefinger at an object that lay in the blackened ruin. It was a human skeleton, the bones bare of flesh and gleaming white in the light of the early morning sun. Van was on his knees quick as a flash, feeling around the gruesome thing, pawing at the shreds of clothing that remained. Then he was on his feet, his face shining with unholy glee. In his hands were a half-dozen small, smooth objects which looked like pebbles. The diamonds. "'I thought so,' he exclaimed. "'It's Kelly. Only way the seed could have gotten up here. He had some on his clothes and didn't know it. I couldn't get him myself. But anyway, I'm satisfied.' He staggered and would have fallen had not Bart caught him in his arms. Poor old Van. Nearly killed him, this thing had, but he'd be himself again after it was all over. No wonder he'd gone out of his head with the horror of it and the blame that had been so cruelly laid on him. No wonder he'd become obsessed with this idea of getting square with Dan Kelly. But now he was content, sleeping like a babe in Bart's arms. Tenderly they carried him to the plane and laid him out on the cushions in back. They'd let him sleep as long as he could return him to Washington, where he'd receive his just dues in recognition for his services. Then would follow the work of reconstruction and rehabilitation. Van would glory in that. Bart regarded his sleeping friend thoughtfully as they winged their swift way toward the American border. The harsh lines that had showed in his face during the past few hours were smoothed away and in their place was an expression of deep contentment. He was at peace with the world once more. Good old Van! What a difference there would be when he awakened to full realization of the changed order of things! What a satisfaction and relief! End of section twelve.